welcome to episode 88 of the Animal Addicts podcast. On today's episode, Casey gives us some information on how to choose the best food for your cat or dog, and I discuss a South American dog breed. We learn about our adorable picks for this week, and about a very interesting animal of the week. So without further ado, let us begin episode 88 of the Animal Addicts Podcast. to episode 88 of the Animal Addicts podcast. 88 is supposed to be a lucky number. Just eights in general is supposed to be lucky. And you should believe Who's that. Who's that rule? Because I thought it was some sort of, I thought it was some sort of like, um, not astrology, but like numbers things that eights are supposed to be good. Also, we should think that eights are good because we're August babies. So yeah. there you go. Anyway, but you weren't born in the 80s because... You're a child, even though I was late 80s, but Hi. still. Anyway, sorry. As always, we're your host, Allie. And Casey. <laughs> and today we're going to talk about a whole new batch of awesome animals. That also just made me thought, though, I joined a group, and it was like 80s and 90s babies, and they post a lot of things, which obviously I relate to, and then they post a lot of things. I'm like, this was obviously early, mid 80s, because mm-hmm. <laughs> I missed it. Yeah. But speaking of eights in august uh-huh. what casey what have you been up to since i last saw you uh, it was my birthday yes about to be fair yeah we're recording this yeah almost two weeks ago to the day almost we recorded this well your birthday was like right after the last recording yeah. anyway moving on <laughs> yeah so uh, my brother took me kayaking along with my little sister um it was in oceanside really yes like at the beach or in like a lagoon? The harbor. Really? Yeah. So basically, um, it's not like a fancy, beautiful place to go kayaking. No. Um, but they're, first off, they should just give you a waterproof map to go along because I was not 100% sure I was following the path halfway through. Because you're supposed to go down and then do a U turn at this one point. Then you go into the harbor and there you can do um, circuits uh, counterclockwise as much as you want and the rentals for like three hours a funny thing was we spent a lot of that time just waiting because my brother did not rent a kayak he brought his own so me and my sister were just waiting it was like for him to like load it and stuff. yeah because he, he because we parked over by the rental but then he had to drive himself um actually he might have walked i can't remember uh and then drop you take off uh, in his kayak in a different area, and we were just waiting. Oh my gosh! Forever. I feel like right now, maybe just because it's really hot out here, I want to go kayaking, but I feel like I would just want to tip it over. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just hot. I want to be in the water. Yeah. Thankfully, um, we didn't tip over because I had my phone on me. No, I'm always panicked about tipping over in kayak. I feel like I'd just drown. I'm like that's like a scary thing about kayaking to me. I really yeah. feel fine about everything else about kayaking, but I'm like I'm afraid I would get stuck upside mm-hmm. down and just drown and not be able to right myself. You're not sitting in it. You can get out of it. Yeah. Okay. You're thinking of a canoe. No, but people like... when they like go whitewater rafting kayaking, mm-hmm. yeah. They're pretty well buckled in that. Yeah. If it's solo. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, no, solo. Oh, you guys were in the same kayak? Me and my sister oh. did a duo. Oh. And when I did whitewater rafting years ago, um, it was in this big inflatable boat. Yeah, yeah, like... but people go whitewater rafting in kayaks, yeah. though. 
Yeah. No, if I do whitewater rafting, I want to do that inflatable boat, which I need to do, and I should do it sooner rather than later because I'm not getting younger. It's fun. <laughs> Obviously, my birthday's coming up too. August mm. birthdays, Leos are the best month. Mm. Anyway, um, characteristic of Leos <laughs> that we think so. The I've best. Been, I, yeah, I think I don't know. I don't care about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, we are. There are some other good signs, but I don't know what they are. Forget. And then there's rising and something mm-hmm. else. I don't know what all that there's crap is. There's all kinds is. of stuff. I don't remember. I like mm-hmm. I look at it and then I immediately forget. I just know the Leo things, which I like impartially Leo and then very not Leo. But let's say real astrology is basically just like, here are some general it's characteristics that can just fit pretty much anyone in certain circumstances. But to be fair, though, I feel like there is some validity to it. Because I have noticed with some people in my life, I'm like, yeah, no, you're very... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're right. But to me, even more than your sign is your um, Harry Potter house, your Hogwarts house. I'm like, that tells me more about you than anything else. Ravenclaw. Oh, God. Oh, my. G- what? You're the third best. <laughs> Griff, Huff- probably honestly, Hufflepuff's probably the best. But oh, Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw, Slytherin. No. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. I have a Ravenclaw shirt one time. I wore that too. But you do the, the best colors. Yeah. Uh, and I went to the safari park with that on it, and then I had everyone yelling their house at me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're welcoming it. If you're wearing uh, that, you're advertising, funny. and you get to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, back to the kayaking. Yeah, sorry. So uh, <laughs> there were a couple rules we had to follow. One of them is you can't go down the inlets, which is where all the boats, boats are Boats go out, yeah. I would um, be afraid of that, yeah. Yeah, and we're supposed to stay in the, where we're allowed, supposed to stay 30 feet from the boats that are mooring, mm-hmm. which is difficult when... The passageway is only a little bit more than 30 Lovely. feet across. Yeah, I've heard Carlsbad Lagoon is really good to go kayaking. I want to oh, go yeah. there. And mm-hmm. then La Jolla. So La Jolla is supposed to be really good, right? Can't you, like, go in caves and stuff? Yeah. I've never been in the caves. But. <sighs> okay, we need to go. That should be one of our field trips is going kayaking. How much does that cost? That can't be cheap. I don't know. Oh, God. Money. Anyway, mm-hmm. okay. I want to do it, though. Yeah. I've never been kayaking, and I want to do it. It's fun. Um, and then you're supposed to say 75 feet from the sea lions. Yeah. The canals not that you're going through is not even 75 feet. Nice, so nice. So that's difficult. And there were a few times that one just popped up by us. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're a sea line. They're going to do what they want to do. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, we were just sitting there and watching them. My sister taking selfies with the sea lions in the background. Of course. <laughs> but, at, for a while, but when my fi- brother finally joined us and we got to the harbor, we were positive that I, we went a wrong turn because the water was rough. Oh, dear. Yeah, it's like, we're going to fall out. <laughs> but it's like, nope, that's where we were allowed to be. It's like we went a few times, then went back into just like the passageway, then went back out. It got calmer as the day went on. But they do have uh, these green buoys that, like, mark your boundaries. Oh, that's good. Um, but there's some people that do not stay within the buoys. No, I'm sure. And, like, you could see, like, how rough it is towards the mouth of the harbor which is where you're not supposed to go because you right. can easily get swept out and there was a pair of girls just wandering right at the entrance of it it's like you are dumb <laughs> you, you are dumb and then over there it, there's a jetty just mm-hmm. a bunch of rocks and yeah there were some idiots jumping off the jetty into the water <gasps> it's so rocky there i know you will die yeah but my cousin i remember um either my cousins or my cousin's friends did that when we were kids it's like you guys are idiots yeah that's way too rocky to be doing that yeah that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Also, then, if you don't hit a rock on your way down, you're probably going to get pushed into a rock from the waves. So, yeah. either way, it's not great. Mm-hmm. Anyway, people are dumb. What are you going to do? Yeah. Okay, well, kayaking sounds fun. Yep. I got my vitamin D that day. Yay. Did you burn? <laughs> yes, I did. Of course. Manning my nose. I covered up decently that time. 
No, you gotta like slap. The nose is the worst. Do you wear a hat? Nope. That would have helped. I need to do that too because I have moles on my head. Yeah, I my nose is what always burns, mm-hmm. so I've started wearing my. But my problem is I hate. That's yeah. why there's only one hat I can wear. Because I hate, I wear a high pony, especially if it's hot. You want your hair off your neck, so it's in a high pony, not a low pony. What am I doing mm-hmm. here? And, like, a normal cap, you can't get a high yeah. pony in it because it's too far. It, the, like, opening is too far. So I have to wear my little visory dude mm-hmm. so I can do it. And, of course, all hats are too big for me, as Casey has seen. So it's a nightmare anyway. Another thing I'm terrible at is I do, when I do kayaking at least, I'll do my legs. If I'm going swimming, I don't. Okay. Um, and... I always forget to go higher than my actual shorts are. Always have to go higher. <laughs> so I always get this one burn. Like a that, random just strip? Just this random strip. Nice. Every time you go out in the sun, you have to, like, if you have a shirt on, you have to roll up your sleeves and go up higher. Yeah. Everything. That I do do, but I don't do it with my legs. No, you got to do it with all of it. All yeah. of it. Anything where you think your skin might possibly show, you have to get, like, a little bit above mm-hmm. and below it. That's just rules for living with the sun, yo. Mm-hmm. That's how it goes. Anyway, but yes, wear a hat when you do it. That'll be better. Anywho, um, is there like room in the kayak to like store shit, like your water and? There's a thing to put stuff in, but we didn't really use it. My sister brought her backpack, so. I mean, you know me. I always have to have shit with me, mm-hmm. so I'd be like, I need my chapstick minimally. Oh, and I collected trash again. I always find trash when I go kayaking. Oh, that's a good choice. Yeah, like put a little bag on it and just throw stuff in the bag. Mm-hmm. That's gross, but I mean, good for you, but like, I just, people are the worst. Mm-hmm. Anyway. All right. Well, um, from your fun tale to my harrowing tale. All right, y'all. I think I've talked about this before that I judge city folk. It's not always city folk, but it's usually city folk. Um, they're freaking out about spiders and bugs and like, they just want to kill them and they freak out and they just, you take a cup and a stiff piece of paper. We're going to have to demonstrate this sometime. We're going to have to, like, go – well, crickets are tough because they jump. But we should go get, like, a cricket or some sort of bug. we got to go find a friendly bug out in the <laughs> wild and demonstrate the cup and paper technique. Anyway, so the cup well, and paper – if pa- it's a cricket, I don't do pu- cup and paper. I just grab it. Oh, God. No. Well, if it's cricket, yeah. yeah. No, if it's cricket, I would just grab it. It would be so hard to get a cup over a cricket. They'd keep jumping. You'd be like, i got to get this aim right. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, but – so the cup and paper technique, if you don't know – there's your little bug and you get a cup and you stick it over the bug and then you get a stiff piece of paper and you slide under carefully so you don't hurt the little legs as best you can and then you flip it we don't have to i would flip it that would scare me to not flip it (laughs) and then you flip it and then you take them outside and then you release them into the wild and all is well well the other night i'm going to bed it's been a long day i'm finally getting into bed turning everything off and i look up at my ceiling and there's this giant ass spider like probably the size of like a half dollar like, Daddy Longway's legs length, but, like, a wolf spider. So I don't know if it was a wolf spider, but it was not a Daddy Longway. So it's not a little skinny thing. And mm-hmm. at first I was like, is that a freaking widow? Because that's how big it was. I was like, is that a widow <laughs> on my ceiling right As now? Small story. Uh, there was a black widow, um, a western black widow, in my garage for the longest time. And I did not tell anyone because I didn't want them to come and kill it. So it, she was just had her corner by the door. And, it's like, and then I came back one day. It's like, she's gone a little... Is she hiding? And then a few days go by and I still don't see her. You should have taken her outside. No, they don't. <laughs> but it's better to leave them because a lot of times if you take a spider outside, it will eventually die. <laughs> oh, well, I you can't be in my house. Sorry. You, you can, can be in a corner. You can be in my house. You can be in the corner of the shower and you can be in your corner and I'll do my best to not get you wet. But that's, that's Dude, it. In my old bedroom, it, it was always full of spiders. Oh, God. Anyway. <laughs> so anyway, so this thing is crawling across my ceiling and I'm like, this is not going to fly. <laughs> you cannot be crawling above me while I'm trying to sleep, this is not going to work. 
So this is advanced level cup and paper technique for many reasons. First of all, I'm short and my bed's not that high. So it was already a stretch for me to even reach the ceiling. And the stakes are so much higher when you're trying to get a spider off the ceiling. Because on the ground, it'll just run away. On the ceiling, it could fall on you. <laughs> <laughs> which I do not want at all. So it was just once a the most stressful situation. And I'm like, and it was kind of over my bed. So it wasn't even like not over, but like over the like, you know, walkway instead of right over my bed. So I was like, already having to stretch and like get it to go. And then, and then it aggressively, I'm happy it didn't freak out. Then it, it was aggressive. I got the cup around it and then it jumped. It like mm. jumped at me, but it was in the cup. So it's like, oh my God. And then I had to like get the paper on there and then get it outside and then I take this motherfucker outside it is like three o'clock in the morning y'all because it's been a late night I'm exhausted and I was just like this is not happening I take this thing outside go at the front door and I release it and I kind of just toss it and it beelines back for the house runs like aggressively back at the house mm -hmm. and I don't even know if I hope I didn't squish it but I was like no at like three o'clock in the morning yelling I'm like no stay out and then I like shut the screen door and like <laughs> I hopefully didn't squish it I'm sure it's skinny enough that it didn't get squished but like it was right at the door when I shut it I was like I had to shut it violently it's <laughs> like you're not coming right back in I just got you out like mm -hmm. it was so aggressive I was like oh my god anyway so it was an adventure. Mm. It is. I've never had to do it on the ceiling before. That's far more stressful when they're above you. Because <laughs> you're like, and my cup wasn't that big. It was like a stand, not even like a solo, like a solo cup is a little bit wider than the cup I was using. So I was just like, this is terrifying. Mm. But I did get it. And it was also challenging because, again, I'm short. And then the bed obviously isn't very, like, sturdy. So mm -hmm. you're, like, doing this action already and, like, leaning over. I'm like, I'm about to, like, eat shit on yeah. the floor and probably have a spider on top of me to boot. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so... There you go. Uh, I don't necessarily challenge you to do the advanced version of cup and paper to get oh, a spider well, or yeah. bug out, but and then There's I thought also about my it. Version. Well, what grabbing it? Yeah, I'm not grabbing a spider. <laughs> There's no world. First of all, not I'd be even afraid. Daddy Long Legs. I'd be afraid of squishing them. I'd be too afraid because they'd probably try to crawl out, and I'd be like, "How do I keep you under control?" And I'd be like, "I don't know how to do it without." I'm always terrified of the lizards too. I don't pick up wild lizards, but like when we have pet ones, I'm like, to hold you so you don't get away, I feel like I have to hold you tight, but I don't want it to be too tight that I'm squishing mm -hmm. you. So it's terrifying. Anyway, but mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it was it was an ordeal, and I just couldn't believe how aggressively he ran back to the house. I was like, no, the bush is right there. Go in the bush, not to the house. <sighs> Little bright spider. Mm -hmm. Anyway, good luck. But also it made me think like, how – how do you remove a huntsman spider? <laughs> There's no cup big enough. <laughs> also, they gotta weigh a lot. Like that's gotta be a hefty. You're talking thing. about the bigger huntsmen. Most huntsmen Obviously. are pretty small. No, I'm so. talking about the dinner plate huntsman spiders. Like, how do you make sure you get their legs in there? And then also, that's gotta be like at least the weight of a rabbit minimum. It is not that big. It's they're big. They're giant things. And how would you keep all their legs in? And what if that jumped at you? I would just my soul would leave my body. <laughs> It would not work out well. Oh, anyway, um, so moving on from spider adventures to what we want to talk about today. Casey, what were you going to tell us about? I'm going to talk about dog and cat food. Okay. And I'm going to get hate, I know, from people. Great. So I honestly don't remember. I somehow ended up – oh, wait, yeah, I remember now. I, I follow some vets and pet people online, and then somehow I got down the rabbit hole – of dog and cat food and when I got into YouTube it made me angry and I want to explain why and 
You just end me down a rabbit hole of research that I can't even fit all into this section. Oh my gosh, it's about to be a rant right now is what it sounds yeah. like. Yeah, so first off the rant portion, um, so like I said, seeing many people online give pet food reviews, and they are completely unqualified, um, and what pisses me off is a lot of them are intentionally misleading. Oh. I saw one online, she stated that she was a board-certified dog trainer and a nutritionist. Um, she had a website, had no qualifications listed on her website. Also, that she very carefully worded how she said it because nutritionist is not a protected term. Literally anyone can use it, just like for humans. Um, a term that is protected is board certified veterinary nutritionist. Um, that is actually a legitimate degree with a lot of schooling. You cannot just simply say that. You will get in trouble. Um, but you will see a lot of people online saying that they're a pet nutritionist, a canine nutritionist, a feline nutritionist. You can just ignore every single thing they say because they're completely unqualified. <laughs> Great. Um, found another one that was doing it on cats. Um, they had their own website. Um, it's all cat-related, not just food, but other things. And um, so found out the head of that site had no qualifications at all, not even a bachelor's degree. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, she did have staff with some qualifications, including vets and vet techs. Uh, but none of them with a specialty in nutrition, and it seemed that those ones were involved in other parts not related to nutrition. And one of the, this is my favorite one, uh, one of the most popular dog review websites, Dog Food Advisor, the person who runs it is completely unqualified because they are a dentist, a human dentist. <laughs> yeah, not, not exactly the same stuff. Yeah. So I started listening to um, some podcasts. One of them was um, a board-certified uh, neurologist talking, interviewing a board-certified nutritionist and talking about recommendations, a whole bunch of stuff. These are for animals, though, right? Not people. Yeah, board-certified okay. veterinary nutritionist for there cats and dogs. Although, fun fact, she's one of the few out there that will also work with exotics, <laughs> um, which a lot don't do because it's a lot more complicated. Yeah, there's a lot more going um, on there. But um, one of the resources she found that has not just a bunch of information regarding nutrition, also a whole bunch of other things related to animal care, is the World Small Animal Veterinary Association. And they actually have a page um, regarding guidelines they recommend people follow um, in order when they are trying to select um, their dog or cat food. And I'm going to run through, I'm just going to quickly do a rundown because it goes into more detail on the actual website. So one of the first things that first sets of things has to do with the brand is like do they employ nutritionists and what you should be looking for is someone with a PhD in animal nutrition or bird certified um, veterinary nutritionists from the American College of Veterinary um, Nutrition or the European College of Veterinary um, Comparative Nutrition or and also who formulates the diet, the diet uh, recipes should be developed by a nutritionist PhD or masters in nutrition also um, qualified and um, what is the quality control process for ingredients and finished product? Um, so they should be meeting um, the Association of American Feed Control Officials or the European Pet Food um, Industry Federation's guidelines. The abbreviations for those are AFCO and FEDIAF. Okay. FEDIAF, obviously the European one. Um, and quality control, which is better when they own their actual manufacturing plants. A lot of companies will actually sub well have contract manufacturers do their manufacturing for them rather than own their own plants. The problem with that is there's going to be less quality control measures that right. you can implement. Um, another thing they go over is the label. What kind of product research on nutrition studies have been conducted? Um, 
So like, are they publishing peer-reviewed in peer-reviewed scientific journals? Ideally, it would be um, public so you can actually look at it. And so they're adding to the uh, food industry to better improve it. Um, nutrition adequacy statement is um, is a complete diet. It will it'll say like um, this has been formulated uh, to meet the guidelines set by AFCO, something around those lines. Um, and it should it will state how it meets this. And there's basically two ways. One is through feed trials that are set by AFCO. This ages ago was considered the gold standard. Um, not in today's time because the feed trials standards are inadequate because it's very minimum. Um, has to be at least eight dogs and um, has to only be for 26 weeks. It's still something. Uh, it's better than the formulation, which I'll get into. Um, but that way you can at least assure that uh, the food can nourish an animal for an extended period of time. The formulation is where basically they just put into a program their um, recipe and does it match up with the nutrient profile set up by AFCO. Uh, problem with this in comparison to the feed trials is it does not um, take into account bioavailability. So it may have those nutrients, but that doesn't matter if it just poops all those nutrients out and doesn't actually uptake in the dog or cat's body. Mm -hmm. It also doesn't uh, account for interactions of ingredients because it's not all the ingredients just acting separately on their own. There's going to be interactions between biochemical um, compounds and stuff. Uh, another thing they suggest is looking for is asking um, how many calories per gram or serving of food um, because obesity is a major problem with pets. So calories should be the basis for what you're giving. And just a little fun fact, uh, calorie input is only required in the United States for pet food. Really? Yeah. <laughs> United States is the only one that requires it. We probably have a higher rate of obese animals, I bet. I don't know about that. I mean, I know yeah. from watching Vet on the Hill, I know the British also have problems. <laughs> but I feel like, you know, Americans tend to be a little heavier. <laughs> so it would make yeah. sense their pets would be a little heavier. Mm -hmm. I have seen stuff that the Brits are catching up. <laughs> uh, um, another thing they have is does the company provide immediate contact information such as a phone or email um it's important that reps should be available for questions like on nutrients per caloric um intake or amount of nutrients um not on the label say like your there's some health conditions where dogs need um a low sodium diet so mm -hmm. that is not something that's going to be listed uh the Nutrition, guaranteed analysis, um, so that would be something you would want to call and contact. And they should be able to provide that for you. Okay. Or else, if you can't get that information, it's an unknown and you're not going to feed it. Mm -hmm. um, and like I said, that's not the guaranteed analysis either. That's just a minimum maximum. It doesn't have a whole lot of um, application. Um, and who makes the food? Does the company actually make the food themselves? If they do, it will say made by... Um, or are they employing a third party to actually manufacturing it? Uh, that would uh, that would include statements made for or distributed by um, on the. Mm, that's packaging. most of the food that mm -hmm. I remember. Yeah. So, a uh, more simplified checklist for the standards uh, is like, do they manufacture at least one veterinary nutritionist? Diet formulated by um, board certified veterinary nutritionist, um, PhD or masters in animal nutrition as well um, is good. 
uh, manufacture their own in their own plants, Co quality control measures, AFCO label meets their guidelines, um, conduct nutrition research, and nutrition analysis, energy-based, say, like, if you're looking for, say, lysine, it's like it would be 0.52 milligrams per 1,000 calories. That would be, like, what you're looking for. Um, caloric density by weight and the ethics is another one that they don't specifically list on there I believe anymore um, but basically um, are they bashing other companies like because the concept is like you shouldn't have to resort to bashing other companies you should be able to stand on your own two feet and defend your food theoretically yeah. um, when you said ethics though I assumed like in how they're sourcing their proteins that's part of quality control okay but quality control as far as this stuff is healthy or this stuff is miserable? As in chickens and other animals. Oh, no. Quality control as in is it healthy for your animal? See, I'd also like to know if it's because I spend way extra money mm -hmm. to get, you know, free range eggs. Mm -hmm. And I love it. They're like, oh, it's cheaper to do this. And I'm like, yes, but I'd rather pay the $2 more to buy eggs from chickens that aren't, well, now they're a little yeah. bit better since props have passed. But still, but like, I want them to be have a reasonable life you know anyway yeah so do they give a website that you can go to to where they do recommend brands they do not recommend brands they just provide guidelines that you should be following there have been third parties that look at these and then assess what um, brands um, do meet these and this is where I'm going to get hate okay because <laughs> there's just five okay um, that, that is not surprising to me at all Purina Hills, Royal Cannon, Imes, and Yukonuba. So Purina in general, because Purina has like a million different yeah. types. Primarily it's ProPlan. Mainly because the okay. research and development is primarily going to the ProPlan line. Okay, yeah. Because I used yeah. to feed ProPlan mm -hmm. forever ago. Um, which also, recommendation I used to give all the time, a lot of cats need urinary food. And I started on the freaking veterinary prescription urinary food and then i switched her to the pro plan urinary and she did just fine yeah. never had more issues so you don't need to have a prescription mm -hmm. pro plan urinary if you're kitty mm -hmm. and they have a bunch of different flavors in it too mm -hmm. anyway quick little thing yeah. but yeah so that's interesting that it's those yeah um so i'm going to go into further detail but okay. it's like want to make a like i just said they don't certify or regulate they're not a regulatory agency they don't approve anything they're not like one of those approval websites um they just set these guidelines along to help people make an objective criteria on what food they're selecting for their pet okay because we are not very good at it intuitively especially with all the marketing so it was purina and purina hills royal canaan imes and yukonuba interesting okay mm -hmm. so the i feel like the two that usually sponsor most dog shows are imes and yukonuba mm -hmm. there you go obviously i list all that the thing is um you're going to have to, um, at least the old-fashioned way is, you're going to have to go out, reach out to companies to ask all those questions, find out that information. Uh, but a great resource to find out at least some of these um, is the Pet Nutrition Alliance. Um, they had a program called Dare to Ask, and what they did is they asked a bunch of companies about manufacturing, nutrition, who they employ, if they do contract, how many of the percentage of the plants they own, um, and if they can provide uh, nutritional info, they would just ask them about a certain nutrition nutrient and if they could provide um, the information on that um, so you can put your food into that search engine and it will sh pull up the list uh, and it'll show that information 
Just make sure when you Meaning use it. Meaning, like, it'll show if they own their own factory. Yeah, like, I actually have it right up right now. I'll just use Purina. Okay. So. So, first column, it will say contract manufacturer. Um, it says no because um, Purina owns all their manufacturing plants. And then the next column is, is a nutritional expert using manufacturing of the pet food? Um, they do employ a full-time vet, uh, board-certified veterinary nutritionist. And they also have full-time nutritionists that have PhDs and masters in animal nutrition. Okay. And um, they did provide um, manu the information on the nutrient, and it did meet um, the AFCO's um, nutritional guidelines on a per energy basis. Okay. And those are the things you want to look for. So let's say like natural balance. That's one that a lot of people love. <laughs> I think I look for this one and that's where I am skeptical with a lot of companies. I have not fed natural balance, but I know that's one yeah. that a lot of people love. Because, um, so natural balance is owned by Jam Smucker Company and they do contract uh, their manufacturers. They own 85% of their plants um, they do employ um, nutritionists with a PhD and masters in animal nutrition. Okay, so yeah. they're not bad. Not horrible, but yeah, they're not like top tier. But the I personally prefer like my bottom line is like I prefer seeing like ninety percent of plants that you own, um, but eighty five percent is not bad. Yeah. Yeah. But there were a lot of companies. Um, they just did not respond. Which is probably means yes. they don't. <laughs> yeah. And what was more, what yeah. I argue is worse, is some literally declined to respond like they got it. They sent a reply and said, we're not answering this. <laughs> like, that doesn't make me feel good. Yeah. So it's like, I am not going to continue business with you at all so if that's who, your situation. What were some of those? Uh, let me see. I can filter it so that will show up. Some of these aren't very common. Like, oh, here's one that... Um, this is more of a boutique brand, but from. I've never heard of it. Yeah, it's an old boutique dog food brand that's been around for a long time. My cousin actually used to feed this to his cats. Um, they just did not decline to anything. <laughs> um, canine Cravings. Avoderm is one of them. Okay. Um, Simply Natural. Texas Pet. Ivet. Uh, Mounds Pet Food. Those are some of the ones. Um, it's quite a long list. I have not heard of any of those. Yeah. But yeah, there's more that um, just did not respond. Um, so that could be either they don't want to talk to you or um, they don't have good employment in their HR office or something, maybe. I would tend to think it's more they don't want to talk to you. Yeah. Does it say who didn't respond? Yes. Specifically, because there's some who said, like, we're not talking to you, and there's some that are like, just didn't respond yeah, at all. Like Blue Buffalo was one of the ones that did not respond. Let's see. And American Natural. Um, Apex. Applause. Okay. Canada was also one of those. Hmm. Yeah. So I highly recommend that. Another great thing they have on this website is there is actually a calorie ca calorie calculator. Okay. Um, so you can put in your cat or dog's information. Um, and it will give you a calculation of how many calories you should be feeding oh, per day. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. One thing to note is that you do need to know their body condition. And the World Small Animal um, Veterinary Association does have guidelines on how to assess that. 
You may I'm also sorry, want... say the world's small animal? Yes. Okay, I don't... If I hear small animal, I think... Yeah, I don't like, know why they chose that because it's... dumb. Also, yeah. a Great Dane is not small. Yeah. I don't know why they went with that name. It actually used to be a different name that I can't remember right now. Um, but yeah, it's I need to write to them and be like, excuse me, yeah. please adjust this because that makes it sound like it's guinea pigs. <laughs> and in no world is an Irish wolfhound or a Great Dane small. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, continue on. I just got very distracted by that. So yeah, um, that's um, those are two resources that I highly recommend. So we will have those on the website, of course. Yes. Um, Another set of tips. This is um, some like some vets I follow online. This is like their top five list of things to consider because again, like Wasab, they're not saying you must meet all these things in order to be a good food. These are just things you should be using as guidelines to assess what food brands you should be using. Right. Um, and one of the vets I follow online, she said. Um, her top five tricks are ask who designed the food and their qualifications. Again, very similar to Wasabi's right. guidelines. Does the diet meet FEDIF or AFCO nutrition standards? Um, two of them are more subjective qualifications, like does it suit your pet? Because some pets have dietary issues, allergies, so you have yeah. to keep that into account. Um, and then the negative marketing um, should stand on feet, not have to bash other companies. And then uh, the last one, um, does it suit your needs and means? Because it's not going to be sustainable for you if you can't it, afford it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But um, biggest takeaway is um, because something I consistently found through also watching webinars and the podcast with these veterinary nutritionists, assessing the ingredients is not a good way to tell if it's a nutritional food for your pet. Um, because what's really important takeaway is you have to remember food is merely just the mechanism to deliver nutrients to your body mm -hmm. and my favorite extreme example that shows this is the giant panda because if you look at it it is a carnivore through and through yeah from its teeth jaws it's, even its enzymes all of that of a carnivore and yet it eats bamboo which among the vegetables would be one of the worst you theoretically yeah, yeah. you could have a carnivore yet through eating a variety and in right quantities it meets all the nutritional requirements it needs as a carnivore um that's what i'm hoping to get across um but if you want my opinion on some absolutes is like they must employ a nutrition a veterinary nutritionist um at the very least someone with a master's animal nutrition so i wanted to tackle some of the ingredient myths um so, um, for starters, um, one of the most common ones nowadays is sh your cat or dog should be fed grain-free because they can't digest them, which, and this includes corn, which is just not true because cats are able to, um, they do have a reduced ability compared to other animals, um, especially, particularly in their small intestines, but um, they do have amylase enzymes in their pancreas, which is what breaks down starch, um, and they have Remember, they've been domesticated for a thousand years, so evolutionary pressures have led them to be able to digest these carbohydrates. And dogs, they absolutely can. Wolves have um, two genes for amylase um, to break down starches, um, but depending on the breed of dogs, they can have from four to 30 copies of this gene, which results in a 28-fold increase of the activity of that gene. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Another one is um, meals are bad, which is not true. I remember meals are just the meat that has been dehydrated, rendered to separate it from the fat, and then ground up. Um, also, keep in mind ingredients are listed by weight, and companies will take advantage of that and look 
list like whole chicken on the very first one but you have to keep in mind about 80 percent of that weight is water so after cooking it's about 20 percent of the actual protein that would be in that chicken okay also there is less um, quality control over the fat content um, as opposed to um, if you're ground up and turn it into a meal um, this is one that I know people are going to be uh, really pissed at me um, is regarding byproducts truth because people don't really understand really I think that byproducts are indeed regulated and what they can be mm -hmm. um, this is all listed under AFCO standards um, so byproducts are just what's left after skeletal meat has been removed and it constitutes internal organs like heart liver and things that we don't consider palatable like lungs uh, which are all actually most nutrient-dense meats um, that we just in our Western food standards aside aren't palatable. Um, these are actually, like I said, um, these are most nutrient parts of the, the carcass and are actually in the wild. This is what predators eat first. Okay. Yep. Um, also, good thing about byproducts is they're environmentally stable because you're still using what's left over from the human um, processing. And so you're not having to resort to using more animals to make pet more food products as well. And there, like I said, there are regulations in place determining what byproducts can and can't be. And things that are excluded are hair, hooves, teeth, feathers, horns, things of that nature. That can't be? That, that it can cannot. Be. Okay. Yeah, it cannot be those things. It can include some body tissues, um, such as cartilage, which is often the most common one. And that is especially common in senior diets because cartilage is a good source of glucosamine oh, and okay. chondroitin sulfate, which are important for um, managing um, osteoarthritis. Um, another regulation, uh, it must state the animal um, that the byproduct came from. There is just one exception with this. Uh, so you may see just meat listed on there. And I have seen people online make um, horror stories about, oh, you don't know what it is. It's mystery meat. It can be roadkill, all that stuff, which is just not true. Meat, the term meat is regulated. You can only use it if the meat that is being used is from cattle, pig, sheep, or goats, which are oh. the four most common uh, mammals that we eat here in the United States. I love I was like, lamb. <laughs> <laughs> I never, you never see anything listed as yeah. sheep, <laughs> ever. It's always listed as lamb. Mm -hmm. So is there more to that? So there is, but I can probably cover it. Like I said, this is... A multiple part situation. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Moving right along into... <laughs> we're talking about dog food. <laughs> what are we going to talk about next? Mm -hmm. A doggy. Um, for the first time, this one angers me. So just know that, folks. Uh, we'll get into why, but um, I... Think I, I if I remember correctly, I know something that will anchor you more. I'm just double checking it About right now. About this dog? Yes. <laughs> okay, great. So I literally chose this just because I was like, hey, we're in South America. Let me find one from South America. And also, like, we've referenced them before, but I literally don't know anything about them. Um, so I've chosen the Doggo Argentino. And AKC, of course, where all this information is coming from, which, of course, will be on the website and all. Uh, they are listed as loyal, courageous, and athletic. I wonder why. Um, they're in the working group. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, <laughs> not happy about it. What kind of work you doing? Yeah, what kind of work you doing? Anyway, um, their height for the males are 24 to 26.5 inches at the shoulder, and then females 24 uh, to 25.5. 
Their weight is anywhere from 80 to 100 pounds, and their life expectancy is 9 to 15 years of age. All right, we're going to start to get into why this pisses me off. This is the history of the Hidalgo Argentino. Argentino? What is that? Anyway, so this breed has its origin in the province of Cordoba in the central Mediterranean region of Republic of Argentina, of the Republic of Argentina, sorry. Its creator was Dr. Antonio Norez Martinez, a renowned doctor and member of a traditional family. In 1928, his passion for dogs, perhaps a family legacy, led him to set the bases and a standard for a new dog breed, which he named Doggo Argentino. His work was based upon the methodical crossbreeding of several purebreds with the old fighting dog from Cordoba, a dog which was very strong and vigorous. After a thorough and minute character study and selection through different generations, Dr. Norris Martinez accomplished this, his purpose, obtaining the first family. At the beginning, it was generally considered a dog for fighting. Pisses me off. But Dr. Norris Martinez liking for hunting, his liking for hunting led him to take the dog to one of his habitual hunting trips where the new breed demonstrated its skills, thus becoming a key figure in all his trips. Thus, it became quickly an excellent big game hunting dog. With the passing of time, this adaptation capacity has made the dog very versatile as regards to function. It has proved to be a noble companion and a loyal and insurmountable protector of those it loves. No shit. <laughs> it, um, its strength, tenacity, sharp sense of smell, and bravery make it the best dog amongst those used for hunting wild boars, peccaries, pumas, and other country predators. Pumas? Mm -hmm. Yep. Which can be found in the vast and heterogeneous areas of the Argentine Argentine, I guess. Argentine is how it's pronounced. Well, that is not how it is spelled, guaranteed. <laughs> um, Argentinian. It's not Tinian, but Tian. Um, territory. Its harmony, balance, and its excellent athletic muscles are ideal characteristics for enduring long trips in any weather conditions and then fighting fiercely with the pursued prey. In 1973, the breed was accepted by FCI as the first and only Argentinian Argentinian, that's just weird the way they're known as, um, breed. Uh, where'd I go? And, uh, blah. Thanks to the great passion, work, and effort of Dr. Augustine Norris Martinez, its creator's brother and successor. Okay, so this dog was literally bred to fight. Massive fucking problem for me. Huge fucking problem for me. And then, when they adapt it from fighting, oh, I'm sorry, also horrid violence. First of all, pigs and peccaries and, and stuff, those guys are tough. So this thing fighting that, you're basically a fighting dog still. So it's still a fighting dog. So you literally bred a dog to fight. I don't understand why the AKC has let them in. <laughs> I don't think that should be approved. Well, now, given, to be honest, why does AKC allow so many I mean, things? but like, but like an Aussie shepherd is there to shepherd its flock and stuff. <laughs> like it's not out there to go and rip stuff apart. That's not its purpose. So a lot of other dogs, like even like a lab retriever, right? And those kind of things. And a lot of them are just fetching the thing that you have shot and bringing it back to you. This dog is out there, obviously not killing it on its own, but is vastly helping you. This is just a dog of violence. This is a dog that was bred for violence. And of course, like... Mother, I crave violence. <laughs> That's a TikTok sound. <laughs> You're on the app. No, I'm not. Anyway, I am. so it just makes me angry. And obviously, I'm sure plenty of these dogs have just become like pets and everything and, you know, whatever. But it just drives me nuts, and it just drives me nuts that this is the type of person, much like we see today when I see people with pities, 
that have like the spike collar on them and I'm like you are so insecure in your masculinity <laughs> like I have seen I had one guy he had it and it was a big old muscly one I'm like yeah you're working that dog because it's not you know how pits are naturally muscular yeah but then you see the ones where it's like yeah you put weights on this dog and have it work out and this guy has one of these like you know buff ass pities and I'm like oh hi puppy and I swear this guy was so offended <laughs> that you I called said it puppy. that to his dog and I'm like I don't care what this dog looks like if it is a great Dane if it is visibly gray I call all dogs puppies they're all puppies and I'm just like it drives me nuts the type of person I cannot stand it it's almost always men <laughs> <laughs> the most toxic of toxic masculinity ever that these guys have to have these dogs and look tough. And I'm just like, you're a freaking idiot. And you just, ugh, it makes me so angry. Anyway, obviously not the dog's fault. But it just pisses me off that this dog was literally bred to fight. And then its next purpose, not hurting, was to go violently kill <laughs> mountain lions and pigs and stuff. Which, you have to be tough to fight a pig. Let's be real. They're real tough. But, like, maybe don't fight it. Like, Ridgebacks don't go and rip lions apart. Ridgebacks go and, like, harass them. So that the hunter can come. Obviously, I'm not really in support of any of this. But like, mm. they harass them so the hunter can come shoot them versus like actually fighting them. So, pisses me off. Anyway, back into this. If for some reason this is a dog you want to have as a pet. It's um, not the dog's hopefully fault. Hopefully, it's not it the dog's fault. For. But like, but pities weren't even bred for that. You know what I mean? Like, mm. pities were not nanny dogs. They were working dogs. <laughs> and they just got turned into fighting dogs. <laughs> this dog was developed as a fighting dog. A dog of <laughs> violence. Which hopefully has become like a pity and can also be a really good family dog and like chill. But like it just pisses me off so much. Anyway, apparently they're lovey-dovey. That's their rating for affectionate with the family. It's as high as it gets, y'all. Let's just hope that they're like pities. Anyway. Oh, also, where do you think they rank on... What? (laughs) I don't... (laughs) Okay. I, got so, I can't even have you guess because it's the dumbest thing. I think okay. we need to fix this this chart. Uh, they're 89th of one. What? <laughs> I think it's supposed to be 100 and something. <laughs> well, did you try clicking on the, the, the little dot? No, but no, it doesn't do anything. What did <laughs> 89th of one. Wait, don't, aren't there like 200 breeds? I don't know. It might be like 190 something. I thought there were 200. But anyway, maybe it's 89. We don't know, y'all. We don't know. This, this chart's off. Anywho. All right. We already said their characteristics. A bit, excuse me. Oh, excuses. Okay. And then this one, um, which is like the nicer version of how they describe them. The Doggo Argentino is a pack hunting dog bred for the pursuit of big game such as wild boar and puma and possesses the strength, intelligence, and quick responsiveness of a serious athlete. His short, plain, and smooth coat is completely white, but a dark patch near the eye is permitted as long as it doesn't cover more than 10% of the head. Can you, uh, dog show people? I can't. Anyway, the ideal doggo Argentino is a study in harmony. Oh, God, here we go. He is large, powerful, and athletic. His strong head is supported by a thick but elegant neck that connects to a balanced body, which is sustained by straight, substantial forelegs and very muscular, medium, angulated hindquarters. The doggo gives the impression of explosive power and energy, developed to find, chase, and catch dangerous game, the doggo... (laughs) really must have a good nose great lung capacity and a powerful yet agile muscular build his expression is alert and intelligent with a marked hardness the doggo is instantly identifiable by his short completely white coat sure okay anyway so let's see about these guys 
they, <clears throat> excuse me, weird, they don't have this one, so, oh, here we go, okay, that's where it is, okay, so let's see what health issues they are looking out for, so they tell you to um, keep an eye out for the bear testing, which I forget what that stands for, we've done it before, we've talked about it, but I don't know, <sighs> can you look that up while I continue, because it bothers yeah. me that I can't remember what it was, um, so, yes, so they want you to test for that, and then we will tell you what that's like shortly. <laughs> Obviously, grooming, they don't take a lot because they have a short white coat, so the bath, you know, and trimming their nails is always the thing. Um, do, 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 and then they say they should have their ears checked regularly to avoid a buildup of wax and debris, which can result in an infection, and then teeth should be brushed regularly. It Actually. stands for Brain Stem Auditory Evoked Response Test. There we go. Okay. Um, so, exercise why? They say options for exercise include playtime in the backyard, preferably fenced, or taken for walks several times a day. Exercise can also come in the form of indoor activities like hide and seek, <laughs> chasing a ball rolled along the floor, or teaching them new tricks. Certain outdoor activities like swimming, hiking, retrieving balls, or flying discs can provide a good outlet for expending energy. Training for dog sports like agility, obedience, and rally can also be a great way to give your dog exercise. Actually, I bet this dog would be really good at agility. That would be a good thing for them to do. Anyway, um, training. Again, I'm not going to get into it. Train all dogs. <laughs> there you go. And nutrition. Just feed your dogs decent food. Look at what you're feeding them. And now you have more guidelines on how you can choose uh, how to feed them. Anyway, um, so that is the doggo Argentino, and it makes me mad. Not the doggy's fault, but it just, people are the absolute worst, and they make me so angry. Mm. So. What? Yeah. The info that I told you will make you mad. <laughs> yeah, sure. So this dog is actually one of the four breeds that are banned in the United Kingdom. That's not surprising, though. Yeah. The other three are the Pitbull Terrier, Japanese Tosa, and, um... Fila Brasileiro. I don't even know the Brazilian those Mastiff. Oh, okay. Why is it only the Brazilian Mastiff? <laughs> I don't There's know. a bunch of other Mastiffs. <laughs> I feel like that's racist. <laughs> because, like, that's. There's so many Mastiffs. Well, here's the thing the Pitbull Terrier and the Japanese Chelsea were included in the national um, legislation, but Dago Argentino and the Brazilian Mastiff were later added by the um, Secretary of State. But, like,. The Cane Corso's not in there? Like, I mean, if you're going to yeah. go on those kinds of things, like, I don't understand why that's not... That's mm -hmm. weird. Poor pities. They just... Yeah. Bad people have just ruined it for them. Yeah. You... If you have one, there's, like, you have to go to court, and there's a it's bunch a of procedures thing. you have to go through in order to That's why usually one. they get mixes, and then they say it's a lab mix. <laughs> and technically, do they count it if it's an American Staffy Terrier? Because that's... I have no idea. Does that mean that's not really specifying? They're saying a pit bull. They're, you know, if you just say American Staffordshire Terrier, there you go. Anyway, they're really illegal. You can't even have them at all in mm -hmm. England. That's like I said, um, you have to go to court. The, and, like, go they the have process. to determine that your dog is not a risk. And then there's a bunch of things. You have to register it. Um, you have to notify the, I can't remember what the department is. Um, when you move addresses, um, you have to make, like I said, get it fixed. Um, have to let you know uh, when the dog dies. Oh my gosh! It, yeah, there's a bunch That's of things ridiculous. you have to do. Ridiculous, but Chihuahuas are fine. 
I mean, the difference is a chihuahua is definitely going to bite you. A chihuahua is 100% going to bite. It just doesn't rip you apart. That's the difference. But, like, chihuahuas are so aggressive. I can't. Mm. I always love when they say they have those lists of, like, aggression is not a, like, bred characteristic. Mm -hmm. It's, like, training. Mm -hmm. And then it's, like, you know, so 10, 9, 8. And they, like, put those words on each letter. And it's, like, (laughs) aggression is not a blah, blah, chihuahua. (laughs) Number one. (laughs) It's, like, the list of top 10 aggressive dogs. I'm, like, "Mm -hmm." chihuahuas and Yorkies. It's usually those two. By the way, I... I remember one thing I forgot to put in my notes that I wanted to say. Um, good thing with, um, at least here in the States for dog nutrition, is now um, AFCO is working with the FDA um, to make um, the nutrition information on the bag resemble that of human food. And it is going to have, instead of like the guaranteed analysis, it will say that nutrition per calorie amount. Oh, okay. Yeah. There we go. That's not around the corner. That's going to be like five, ten years. A now. while away. Yeah. All right, well, transitioning from dogs to cats, it was my turn to choose the category, the cat category. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I chose South American cats, so I like the one that Casey chose. So, Casey, tell us about your cat. Yes, I went with the Andean Mountain Cat. Okay. So, its scientific name is Leopardus jacopita. As their name suggests, this species range is primarily restricted to the Andean mountain range in countries like Peru, Bolivia, and parts of Chile and Argentina. They live in very rocky mountainous habitat, usually above the timberline, which is around 3,000-4,000 meters above sea level. Um, They also have been spotted outside the Andean region in scrub-like habitats, but at lower elevations around 650 meters above sea level. There is not a lot of good information on the lifespan of this species, but they are closely related to the pompous cat, which can live to 17 years in captivity, but average closer to 10 to 11 years in the wild. So that is likely the good estimation for this species' lifespan. Okay. They are a species of small cat, and their actual size reflects that in that their body length is about 57 to 64 centimeters. She has her centimeter. <laughs> Is that oh, how long no, it is? It's an inches only. <laughs> Dang it. I have another one with centimeters. I grabbed the wrong one. Oh my one. gosh. You... I'm so sad. I was prepared and I wasn't. <laughs> Too good. Makes me so um, mad. Okay, continue on. Sorry. And their tail's about 41 to 48 centimeters long. They weigh about four to six kilograms. Just like all cat species, they are obligate carnivores. Um, the bulk of their diet consists of chinchillas and viscachas but have been known to feed on reptiles, birds, and other small mammals. I feel like a chinchilla is pretty big game for a cat that size. It is, yeah. Jeez, okay. Mm-hmm. Due to excessive hunting of chinchillas for the fur, they are largely extirpated from much of their range, so the Andean mountain cat is heavily reliant upon viscachas now to survive, and they're pretty similar in size to chinchillas. Studies have revealed over 90% of their diet is small mammals, with viscachas making up nearly 30% of consumed prey. Okay. Also, of the available prey, the viscacha is by far the largest, showing its importance to the Andean cat's diet. Keep in mind that this species has a fragmented and patchy distribution across the Andes, so it is among the most poorly studied cat species in South America. Due to their mountain habitat, this species has evolved to be highly specialized compared to many of the other cats in South America. They have a thick fur coat for insulation that can be 5 centimeters thick, at least on the back. Um, Their fur is usually an ashy gray color with rusty um, spots over it. Um, 
like I said, they live above the timberline, so there is no trees to provide them with cover, and most of the vegetations are just small shrubs and grasses, so their coat helps them blend in very well with the rocks. They have a long tail that is about 70% uh, as long as their body, um, which helps keep their balance while they're traveling across their, the rocks in their habitat. It has also been hypothesized that they will use it for insulation and wrap it around their body, keep themselves warm as oh, they sleep. how cute. Okay. Their patchy range and sparse prey availability means they likely have very large territories. One study found uh, a female had a home range about 65 square kilometers. There have been a few sightings of the species during the day, but most evidence points to them being nocturnal and crepuscular, which also aligns with how the Fiscaccia um, that they prey on are also usually nocturnal. The Andean mountain cat is currently listed as endangered by the IUCN red list. This makes it the most threatened cat species in the Americas, and it currently has a population of less than 1,500. Aww. Currently, the main threat facing this species is loss of habitat, um, this is primarily from the mining and petroleum industry, which is also extracting water from the Indian cat's habitat. They are also hunted by local people who think they hunt their uh, small livestock, as well as being killed by these farmers' dogs. Their main prey is also being hunted extensively, which is causing a decline in its primary prey item, which is causing their habitat become more fragmented as abundant prey is becoming more scarce. Another cat species that is found in the same range is the pompous cat, and due to limited habitat and prey, there is more intense competition between these two species. They are listed under Appendix Two, ap sorry, Appendix One of CITES, and the species is listed as critically endangered by multiple countries and is granted full protection. Wow. <clears throat> okay. Well, I just really like that they were really cute, but like. <laughs> Okay, they look really cool, yeah. but them taking their tail around themselves is adorable. <laughs> also, I can't help that, I feel like every time we're in South America, like we're actually there, that would be so great. Um, mm. It always reminds me of Spelling Bee, because we talked about the South American rodents, and that was a whole mm -hmm. thing of last season. That's a whole thing in Spelling Bee, is that um, Leaf keeps getting South American rodents. And also, Crepuscular reminds me of it, because crepuscule is one of the words. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, ah. Anyway. All right. Well, I had difficulty choosing a cat. I chose this category, category, mm. and I, I really struggled to choose a kitty because, you know, they're all adorable. And um, so I just, I made my choice on the one that looks the most unique. <laughs> so I chose the Jaguarundi. How do you actually pronounce that? Jaguarundi? Jaguarundi. Jaguarundi. Okay. I had it right the first time. Go me. All right. This is going to be a mess. Their scientific name is <laughs> Herpalurus Jaguarundi. Mm -hmm. This species has quite a large geographic. <laughs> it was obviously not close. That's okay. This species has quite a large geographic range and is found from parts of northern Mexico all the way down to parts of Argentina. Oh my God. That is a large range. Wow. Um, there have been some sightings in Arizona and Texas, but these have not been substantiated. And if they are legitimate, it is likely a result of introduction by humans. Of course, in Texas it would be, obviously. <laughs> um, anyway, much of the species range encompasses countries in northern South America, like Brazil, Peru, and Colombia, to name a few. 
As one may expect of a cat with such a large range, it also lives in a variety of different habitats, including grasslands, scrublands, savannas, woodlands, and forested habitat. They're like mountain lions, but yep. little. Anyway, okay. They actually were once um, cl- classified under the genus Puma, which is the same as the Interesting. fountain. Okay. Evidence seems to suggest that they prefer living along the edges of forested regions. In captivity, they have been known to live up to 15 years, but in the wild, the lifespan is unknown, but is likely substantially lower. Their um, body length is 53 to 76 centimeters, tail length 31 to 52 centimeters. That's pretty good. And their weight is 3 to 7 kilograms. They are obligate carnivores. They are generalists. They are a generalist predator that hunts a large variety of prey, including small mammals, reptiles, birds, frogs, and fish. I just... It's so weird to me, cats eating frogs. Like, why? I, it just doesn't seem like it'd be good. Uh, and just, I don't, it's just weird. Lizards make possibly because I've seen my cats kill lizards all the time when I tell them not to. But anyway, all right. The jaguarundi has a very unique body shape in that they are built very much like a large weasel or otter, other or or otter than a cat, which is very true. Again, it's another one that kind of looks like a fusa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like we've had two animals look like that. Anyway, they are largely terrestrial cat species, but they are adept at both jumping and climbing trees, and have been observed jumping two meters oh, into the air to catch birds, <laughs> and have been seen chasing marmosets up a tree using their tails to balance during the pursuit. The fur coat is usually a uniform color, but varies depending on what region of the species' geographic range it is in. Individuals with darker brown coats are usually found in densely forested habitats, and those in open, more arid regions have a lighter chestnut brown color. They are not closely related to the other small cat species of South America. In fact, genetic analysis has shown that the jaguarundi is more closely related to the cougar and cheetah. They have some characteristics that reflect this relationship. The jaguarundi cannot fully retract their claws on its hind feet. Oh, crazy. <laughs> and another characteristic um, is that it sets the jaguarundi apart from other cat species is its vocal repertoire, as it is known to use at least 13 different vocalizations to communicate with each other. Wow, go kitty. Is one of them chirping like cheetahs? Oh, that'd be cute. Anyway, okay. I believe they do chirp. Oh, yay. <laughs> the jaguarundi is a little bit larger than a domestic house cat, and due to its size, its major competition is the ocelot, which is the largest of the small cats of Tropic America. Due to this, there is niche partitioning, where these two species' ranges overlap, with the jaguarundi having higher activity level between 2 and 4 p.m., and little activity after sunset to avoid competition with the nocturnal ocelot. 2 and 4 p.m.? That is so specific. <laughs> they Okay, so where that information comes is they fit a tracking collar okay. on some of these cats, and then they, um, they can track when they are moving around, and this period of time is when it's at its peak. That's so crazy. <laughs> anyway, this more um, diurnal lifestyle means that the jaguarundi is the most commonly spotted cat in South America. I want to see one. Due to the presence of the ocelot, the jaguarundi is not the dominant small cat predator in much of its range. The ocelot has such an effect on the small field community that its presence in an area causes decrease of other species in the area and an increase where it is not. This phenomenon has even been given its own name, the ocelot effect. The ocelot was definitely another animal I chose. (laughs) Okay. 
Um, the jaguarundi is currently listed as least concerned by the IUCN Red List. The species population is currently in decline. The most significant threat to the species faces is the loss of habitat due to a large-scale agriculture. Due to large-scale. Due to large-scale agriculture. They're also killed in retaliation by farmers for killing their poultry. The jaguarundi has been included on Appendix 2 of CITES. The species is also found um, in many protected areas across its range and hunting is illegal in several countries. The species needs to be further researched to find out more about its natural history in order to protect it. And even in protected areas, its numbers are not particularly high due to the fact that these protected regions have higher ocelot populations. <laughs> ocelots yeah. are just little bullies of the cat yeah. world. <laughs> it's, it's just something that's very weird because you do have jaguars and uh, cougars that are dominant over ocelots, but they don't have the same effect. They don't have this displacement of the ocelot or small cats. That's so weird. Mm -hmm. Anyway, they're really cool. I hope I get a good picture of them because they're really awesome. And um, Casey. Yes, Allie? I went too far ahead. What is it? <laughs> what is the cat's? What is the cat's favorite Australian city? I don't know. I, I don't know. Sydney? Perth. Perth! <laughs> I know Perth! Also, I'm disappointed in myself that I always thought Sydney was the capital. <laughs> it's definitely Perth. I do not remember ever learning that Perth was the capital of Australia. All right. So that brings us, this is fitting for Australia, <laughs> to our animal of Even the week. Even though we're not doing Australia. We're not doing Australian, but people think of this when they think of Australia in general. Um, our uh, animal of the week this week is... The whip spider. The whip spider, which is obviously from South America, but yes. most people associate Australia with scary things. So tell us about them. Yes. So these guys come from the order Amblypigi, and the family is Furinae. And the species, I'm going to talk about this group in general, uh, but I'm going to do a little highlight on um, this species, um, Heterophrynus uh, batesii. Okay. Um, so this species is native to tropical lowland forests of Ecuador. Seen some reports in Brazil, Peru, and Colombia. Those not as substantiated, though. Um, other members of the family um, can be found across uh, America, ranging from as far the Americas as far north as um, southern United States down to Brazil and Bolivia. Okay. Um, depending on the species, they can live between five to ten years, and there's quite a size range from twenty to sixty millimeters. Like most other arachnids, whip spiders are predators and feed on a variety of insect species. The whip spider is also sometimes known as the tailless whip scorpions, um, but that is a misnomer because they are not scorpions. In fact, the other common name, whip spider, is also a misnomer because they are not spiders either. Okay. They're none of these things. No. Sp spiders are all in the order Araneae, while the whip spider, as I mentioned earlier, is in the order Amblypigi. I feel like we're going to have to go through all of our seasons and count how many animals have the name of something that they are not. <laughs> yep. And um, they are sometimes referred to as amblypidgets, so I will use that um, from every now and then. Okay. Because I think it's a fun word. Okay. <laughs> so amblypidget actually translates um, to blunt tail because they lack a tail. <laughs> 
superficially they do have some resemblance to spiders um their body is separated into two body parts the abdomen and um the cephalothorax the abdomen contains all the visceral organs while the cephalothorax is where their appendages attach as well as where their sensory organs are located they are close relatives of spiders but their closest relatives of these guys are actually a group of another arachnids called the vinegaroons oh <laughs> i looked at those yes. those are cool mm -hmm. um there are some key differences that make them easily to distinguish from spiders. Um, most whip spiders tend to be very flat in comparison to true spiders, which tend to have a large, more bulbous abdomen. Okay. One of the most noticeable things is that it looks like they only have three pairs of legs. Yeah, I think when I looked, when I was looking up, because this is, of course, we didn't say this, was mm -hmm. listener's choice. So when mm -hmm. I put up the polls and I looked at these animals, because... Spoiler alert, Casey chose all of these <laughs> options. It does look like that. It's, yeah. I thought they were missing a set. There you go. So, like I said, they are related to spiders, and they are indeed arachnids, so they do have four pairs of legs, but the first pair of legs is highly modified. They are significantly longer than the other sets of legs and are very thin and whip-like. 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 Yes. They don't use them for walking at all, but instead they have several sensory receptors on them and use them similar to how insects use their antenna. It's because of this that these legs are actually called antenniform legs. Okay. Uh, these antenniform legs are covered in microscopic hairs that um, studies have shown are involved with chemoreception as well as good at sensing touch, and they can use these receptors as a navigation tool. Most of the time, they stay close to the crevices that they live in, but occasionally they will travel larger distances and manage to find their way back. And they have been shown um, that their navigation diminishes if these legs, um, the ends of them, get clipped off, which shows that they are using them for navigation, not just for detecting prey. And other studies show that their ability to return to their home base was less impaired if they just impaired their eyesight. Which uh -huh. shows just how important these antenniform legs are to them. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Also, they are not venomous and lack fangs um, that you'll find in spiders. Arachnids actually belong to a group known as the chelicerates. You may also hear it as chelicerate, uh, but I was taught chelicerate, so I will use that. Oh, I like chelicerates better. <laughs> uh, and the characteristic that un unifies all the members of this group is the presence of chelicera. They're the feeding appendages. They're kind of synonymous to mandibles, um, except that they look kind of like tiny little jaws. You don't really see them in spiders because they have been modified into fangs. Um, and because they lack fangs, the whip spiders are completely harmless to people. Okay. Um, they have appendages on their cephalothorax just in front of their um, antenniform legs that kind of look like the arms of prey mantis, except horizontally oriented. Oh, okay. I'm looking like I'm going to remember what that is. I have to look at a picture, obviously. Um, these are actually pedipalps. In spiders, they are very small. You can't really see them. They're just next to the fangs. Um, but they are also seen in scorpions. Just in the scorpions, they have been modified into claws. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, in the whip spiders, they have modifi modified into this raptorial form to use for capturing prey. Um, and then pull them into their mouth to eat it. 
um, during mating, the males will actually grab onto the females um, with his petty palps to make sure she doesn't try to eat him after they're done mating. <laughs> That's smart. Yep. The whip spider also do not have any silk glands. That is a trait that is unique to the true spiders. They are not nearly as diverse as the spiders either. There are literally tens of thousands of species of spider, but there are just a little over 200 species of amblyg pigeons. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like many spider um, species, the amblyg pigeons are nocturnal and come out to hunt prey at night. Um, it's due to this nocturnal nature, as reclusive lifestyle, and the fact there's just not that many species of them that humans don't see them very often and aren't as aware of them. Most of these whip spiders are solitary, but some actually display some social behavior, such as um, the species I mentioned earlier, Heterophrynus vitesii. This species is also unique in that it is a tree-dwelling species, while the vast majority of them are terrestrial. They have been observed aggregating in groups of up to eight individuals, which is quite unusual compared to how solitary other species tend to be, especially within the arachnids. Um, this species also has been shown to have some sexual dimorphism, um, with males having longer palps compared to the females, and it seems that this trait is influenced by sexual selection. Hmm. Um, studies have also shown that in some species that the offspring will actually stay with their mothers for an extended period of time. Um, in some species, the offspring will form groups with their mother in which they will remain in prolonged contact with the, one another using their antenniform legs. And the young amblypages will stay associated with one another until they reach sexual maturity, which is around 12 to 15 months. After this point, they avoid interaction with one another, um, but they are also—they've also found evidence of kin recognition for this species, not the heterosphrynus, but this other species, a few other species, um, because they show that amblypages showed more antagonistic behavior i.e. fighting and stuff like that and avoiding each other among groups where they're unrelated individuals com as compared to groups of siblings. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. All right, so that is the whip spider, which is yes. none of these things. Yep. And these are not, they're not whips. They just sense things. So it's completely inappropriately <laughs> named. Anyway, but there you go. Mm -hmm. That is our animal of the week. And that brings us to the challenge, and it is Casey's turn, and I'm nervous because he brought a notebook with him. That is something else. Okay, good. That is not related to a challenge, I okay, promise. Okay, good. It's my notes for myself. Okay, great. All Ugly right. notes, but notes still. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so I don't know what this is going to be. Um, it's probably not going to go well because that's usually how things go. Yes. So I decided to do kind of like Animal Addict South America in review. Up oh, till this no. point. I feel like a lot of times I really need to just study our podcast. <laughs> like, I feel like it's, I feel like there's a lot of information. It would be a great final. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. Oh, God. It's going to be awful. All right. Here so we go. So I have 11 questions in total. I think I put a bonus or two in here. Okay. So I'm expecting to get, uh, I'm going to make my goal. How bad is a goal of 60%? But let's be real. It's know. usually really bad. Yeah. So. So what would we say? Ten minutes is good, or should ten I? Ten is you? usually what we do. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's. I think that should be fine. Okay. So yeah, this is covering just stuff. From literally South everything's been on the podcast. Oh no! So I should know all of it, <laughs> but I'm not going to know any of it. Cool. Yeah. I'll know some of it. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> okay, let me get a drink of water. First. All right, prepare yourself. Okay, are you ready? As ready as I'm going to be. Okay. First question. What species have been animals of the week that have aquatic or semi-aquatic lifestyles? 
This is specifically South America. South America. Keep in mind that. Um, so I'm going to say, I feel like the green anaconda should count in that. Mm-hmm. And the giant otter. Um, oh, no. Now sometimes it's like, who was an animal of the week and who was a pick? Okay. Uh, not you. Not you. Who else was the fourth? Oh, not you. Okay. That was season one. Season two. Shang. <laughs> who are other ones? Who is... Was the Watson South America? That is Watson in okay. South America. Okay, yeah, Watson. Aquatic or semi-aquatic animals of the week. Um, we're just gonna have to go through this. The Quadia is not. <laughs> the Cock of the Rock is not. The Maine Wolf is not. So the Green Anaconda is the only one from season one. Season two was the Bush Dog, the Watson, which is the Bush Dog. I do not remember the Bush Dog being aquatic. I don't know. Okay. The Watson, for sure. Uh, the Giant Anteater, which is not. Who was our fourth? Oh, my God. Who was our fourth South America last year? I've completely forgotten it. Remember I said up to this episode. Okay. Um, well, either way, that would be, last season would be up to this episode. And I already said Giant Otter. Oh, yeah, you did. Never yeah, mind. I don't know. I said I'm... giant otter already. <laughs> and who was <is> last week? <laughs> oh, my God. I'm losing my mind. Didn't I choose it? <laughs> I don't think it was aquatic, though. I think it was what otter was. I know, they're all, I know it was a mammal because we do a lot of mammals. Oh, my God. Literally, who was last week's animal of the week? That is so bad. <laughs> that was the king continue. Okay, thank you. All right. Okay, it was not aquatic. <laughs> Um, I literally can't remember who the fourth South America was last year. Was that one of the, where was, where was the Bagheera and where was the Diving Bell? Diving Bell was Europe, right? Mm-hmm. Was Bagheera in South America? Keep in mind, you're at seven minutes, 50 seconds. Okay, well, I'm trying to get it. There's going to be other ones. I'm not going to know anything. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to fail because I can't remember who the fourth was. So there we go. Those are the ones I said. Let's it again. Oh, God. Green Anaconda. <laughs> um, that was the only one for season one. And then the Watson. And then, not the Bush Dog, not that. Not that. So we're going off a giant uh, otter. You got three of the four. Okay. It was probably the fourth thing from season two. <laughs> I can't remember what it was. <laughs> okay, moving on. Okay. Only one animal of the week for South America is the only living member of its order. Which one is it? <sighs> oh, no. Oh, no. Okay, it's not you. I feel like it's going to be wrong, but I feel like it's the Watson. Is that your final answer? Yeah. That is correct. Yay! In season one for South America picks, only one animal was actually from South America. Oh, no. Whose pick was it and name the species? Um. Okay. For season one. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we had our birds of prey. I think that was it. Wasn't mm-hmm. I think it was your birds of prey. It was the, literally, really, am I going to forget the name of this eagle? Harpy eagle. That is correct. Yay. Okay, great. <laughs> I have talked about herpetology quite a bit on the podcast, so hopefully you know what animals are involved in that by now. Yeah. Name the South America picks and animals of the week that belong to this group. Oh, man. Okay. Well, we got the green anaconda. Um, and... Picks wise, we just literally did snakes. So Bushmaster, South American Bushmaster, and mm-hmm. who's mine? <laughs> Emerald Tree Boa. Um, what other picks have we done that were like those? Oh man, I don't think we ever did any lizards, right? In South America, no. 
Um, yeah, six minutes. I think that's that's all I can think of. You're one short. Oh, man, that sucks. <laughs> okay. All right, moving on. I can't think of who it is, so. Up to this episode, there have been three South American Animals of the Week that are the only representative of their order as Animal of the Weeks for our whole podcast. Oh, jeez. What are they? No idea. <laughs> no freaking idea. Um... Uh, um, you should know one of them. I don't know any of them. Well, okay. No, because that's... Also, you think I remember what the order is? <laughs> <laughs> you think I remember systematics and the, where the order is versus family or whatever? Is the order carniv- carnivora? Is yeah. that order? Okay. Um, Five minutes. Oh my god, I guess I needed Keep more. There several questions. I guess I needed more than that. I don't, I don't. How many are there? Four? Five. Oh my god! I'm just going to name animals. So I literally don't know. Um, It's just going to be wrong. I'm going to be wrong all the way around. I'm going to say Watson again. going to be wrong. Um, Nope. Uh, this giant anteater. Sure, I'm just throwing out names. We're just throwing out things that makes no sense. Um, The bush dog. That's not, because it's carnivora. <laughs> I take that back. Not bush dog. Um... Kawadi, I'm just naming. I'm just naming animals. These are wait, animals of the week or animals, animals of the week? Okay, damn. Um, yeah, I don't. Maine wolf. No, that's carnivore. I'm just naming. I just I, let's just move on. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I'm never gonna get it. <laughs> the giant anteater has a very specific diet of certain insects. What is the name of this kind? Myrmecophagus. Yes. <laughs> Yay. I learned that. <laughs> okay, South America is the hot spot for terrestrial invertebrate diversity. But how many species have we covered as South American picks or animals of the week? Name them. That are invertebrates? Yes. Oh, no. That's going to be a mess. <laughs> how many have we... That's all South I have to American name them, too? South American picks or animals of the week? Oh, my God. Is the Figurian Kiplingite... Was that our other... Was that our other South America? Or was that North America? Three uh, and a half minutes. Oh, my God. How many questions do I have left? Okay, I'm not going to get this Including, one. Move on. Okay. <laughs> the green anaconda has a unique form of reproduction amongst reptiles called what? Oh, no. I don't remember. I'm just going to say ovoviviparous because I say that all the time. <laughs> Moving on. That is correct. Yay! <laughs> the cock of the rock was the first bird animal of the week. Do you remember what kind of behavior the males perform to try to impress the females? Ah, it has a name. It's not rut. It's something. How many questions do I have left? After this one, two. Okay. Um. Oh God, I feel like things that are though. No, I don't remember it. We'll move on. Okay. The carnivores make up a disproportionate amount of animals of the week, and two of them have similar lifestyles. By that, I mean terrestrial, aquatic, etc. Or okay. something like that. Name these two and the adaptation they share that helps them move around their habitat. I also just realized I spelled one of them wrong. Good job. Um, can you repeat that question? Carnivorans make up a disproportionate amount of animals of the week. Two yeah. of them have similar lifestyles. Name these two and the adaptation they share that help them move around their habitat. Why do I not remember we just talked about that if they are one of those? 
I think they are. I'm going to say it's the Kinkajou and the Kawadi, and I thought that it was that they can move their ankles. That is correct. Yeah! Last one. The main wolf and bush dog are most closely related of our South American animals of the week. Which of our picks belong to the same unique group that they are in? I want to say it is the short-eared dog. I think that's what that's called, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going with the short-eared dog. Just that? Oh, wait, there, I, it sounded, it sounded, it sounded like there was only one. Nope. Oh, say that question again, then? Which of our picks belong to the same group? Oh, well, South American canids. You remember yours? <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, the Darwin's fault. Okay. Right, I didn't realize I was picking the category. <laughs> okay. I should have worded that better. All right. <laughs> okay, bonus question. What group do they belong to using the scientific name? Oh, God. Vulpus, I believe, is the wolf, right? No. Damn it. That is a scientific term, though. It is a term. Um, I'm never going to remember it. I did. Canada Day. There we go. That's it. Enough. Okay, great. <laughs> to be fair, I should have taken more time because maybe I've well, gotten one more question. If well, I you have 40 time. seconds. So. Well, 40 seconds isn't going to help me come up with all of the invertebrates we've had in South America. You'll be shocked. Okay, so what species have been animals weak that are aquatic or semi? Wait, first, how many did I get right? Oh, sorry. And then we go through the answers. One, two, three, four, five. Got six. Okay, so, I mean, it's not quite 60%. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. so first question, what species have been animals of the week that are aquatic or semi-aquatic lifestyles? You got most of them. It's the green anaconda. It's the bush dog. And the giant river otter. I don't know why I was thinking the bush dog wasn't, and then I was like, no, that they kind of are, but then I couldn't... And this is the one you just could not remember. Lake Titicaca frog. Oh my god, I chose that! (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. And the only animal of the week for South America that is the only living member of its order, that is the Watson. You got that correct? You got the next one correct. The only South American animal that from season one for our picks was the harpy eagle favorite bird of prey yep yep and i have talked about herpetology quite a bit uh so name these south american picks and animals of week that belong to this group the one you missed was lake titicaca frog because i couldn't remember it yep. <laughs> <laughs> so annoying <laughs> so up to this animal there have been three south american animals of the week that are the only representative of their order as animals of the week for the podcast which are they the giant anteater was co- correct okay. from the order Pelosa. Watson from the Opistocomiformes. You're going to get so mad. Is this a cocka frog? No, it's today's. Oh. The whip spider. That's annoying. Uh, See, but again, I need to know what these orders are. And that's mm-hmm. part of the problem is I don't know the systematic stuff. So I'm like, I don't know. Sure. Because you're like, they're arachnids. So I'm yeah. like, great. I'm thinking they're arachnids, <laughs> and we've done arachnids, so. <laughs> All right. Uh, the giant anteater's specific diet of certain insects, that is called myrmecophagus. Mm-hmm. South America is a hotspot for terrestrial invertebrate diversity, but how many species have we covered as our South American picks or animals of the week? The answer is one, the whip spider. Oh, okay. We have done several arachnids, but not for South America. That's right. Okay. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yep. And next question you got right. The green anaconda's unique form of rep- reproduction is called ovoviviparous. 
The cock of rock uh, was the first bird animal of the week. It's form of reproduction where males perform to try and impress the females. It's called lecking. <sighs> okay, it wasn't an R, but mm-hmm. okay. Yep, and the carnivores make... You got that correct. It was kawadi and kinkajou. They are both arboreal, and they have rotating ankles. The main wolf and bush dog are most closely related, and the uh, picks that were in the same unique group are the short-eared dog and Darwin's fox. Got that correct. And the bonus, what group do they belong to that's unique to South America? The scientific term is Cerocyanina. No, I was never going to remember yeah. that. Mm. I do feel like Myrmecophagus is my the mitochondria is the power of the cell <laughs> moment. And I'm like, now that I know it, I feel like I'll never forget it. <laughs> All right, well, that wraps up episode 88. Thank you all so much for listening. As always, we're your host, Allie. And Casey. And we will catch you on the next episode of the Animal Addicts Podcast. <laughs>